Thanks, everyone. I told you yesterday uh, about something about my work. One of the ways in uh, medical tradition that uh, people prevent things from getting too theoretical is to look at case histories. And today we've got two case histories to look at. Very different men and their encounters with the Lord Jesus Christ. Two conversions. And the first one, the Ethiopian eunuch, I would suggest to you, is a disappointed man when we meet him on this road. Um, my guess is, it says in the chapter that we read, that he went up to Jerusalem to worship. My guess is that he never made it into the temple. Temple worship was based on a system of exclusion, really. There was the high priest who got into the presence of God <clears throat> once a year, and from there on outwards, there were divisions, there were barriers to people. The priests got, <clears throat> got into the outer courts of the temple. Then, were the, then there was the courts of the Jews. Then there was a court of the women. And then there was a wall. And Gentiles went past that wall on pain of death. There was a notice. It was on pain of death that you went past that. If you want to see what happened when they thought a Gentile had gone past that barrier, have a look at Acts 21, when they think that the Apostle Paul has brought Trophimus into the, into the temple. Absolute chaos breaks out, and the gates are slammed shut, and it's bedlam. But there was a way for Gentiles to embrace Judaism. They could become proselyte Jews. And they did it by baptism. When the Lord Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, I think Nicodemus has been a bit perverse because he knows about the new birth. It says in the Talmud that a, a Gentile who is baptised as a Jew is like a child newborn. So when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again, that should be something in his experience. He's been a bit perverse. And so the Ethiopian eunuch might have been trying to become a proselyte Jew. But he has a problem. Will you turn with me to Deuteronomy 23? Deuteronomy 23 verse 1. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. This man is rejected, he's excluded. And when we meet him, he's going home, humiliated, rejected by the people that he went to worship with. He's going home, he's, he's bought an expensive book in Jerusalem and he can't understand what it's about and he's pretty fed up. But he hasn't been rejected by God who takes Philip from an incredibly successful Bible campaign that's happening in Samaria. Things are going so well, but he takes him away and brings him to this unhappy man. He, Philip comes at God's request just for this person. 
and he tells him about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who could speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the Ethiopian says, who's he talking about, this prophet? Is he talking about, uh, talking about himself, or is he talking about someone else? I wonder what was going through his mind, because it sounds a bit like his predicament, his humiliation, his rejection. A man with no descendants. And Philip tells him about the Lord Jesus Christ. He told him the good news about Jesus. And then the Ethiopian asks a question, has a, a sort of increased resonance because he's just been refused baptism in Jerusalem. He can't become a proselyte Jew. And he says to Philip, here's some water. Is there anything stopping me from being baptised into Jesus as the Messiah? And Philip says, you bet there isn't. It's a paraphrase. <laughs> you bet there isn't. And he's baptised. Just turn to Ephesians 2, will you? Ephesians 2, verse 12. Remember, Paul is writing to the Ephesians. But at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility that barrier between the courts of the Gentiles and all the rest and all those other divisions are just broken down and thrown away. All those people who were excluded from the temple are included now. Jesus went out of his way to talk to all the people who'd been excluded from temple worship. When you read the word sinners, that's what it means. It means those people who weren't allowed into the temple. And they were the particular concern of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even at his birth, God starts by talking about it to shepherds. Shepherds weren't allowed in the temple either. But all those other people, <coughs> tax collectors, prostitutes, the lowlife of Jerusalem, the lepers, people who were just thrown out and cast aside, become the special concern of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we learn about it? Well, don't write people off as unsuitable or unlikely material. Don't use our faith to exclude people. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never turn away. And sometimes in our lives, great blessings come out of desperate situations, desperate unhappiness and adversity sometimes leads to enormous blessing. Only God can do that. Only God can bring something good 
out of those desperate times in our lives. I'll probably tell you this story. I do tend to repeat my stories, but I don't care. Not if they're good stories. And I had a neighbour called Alan Spencer, and he was a professional man. He was a graphic designer on the Westland Gazette. Just nod if you've heard this. <laughs> You're very kind. <laughs> or forgetful. Perhaps he was so boring you just never remembered it. He lived across the road from me, and uh, he was a graphic designer on the Westland Gazette, and, but he was an alcoholic. And um, gradually he just slipped further and further into, into trouble. And he came across, well, he, he tried to commit suicide one Christmas Eve, I remember, and I ended up spending a lot of time with him in hospital, and then trying to patch things up with his family and his wife and children, and, and he'd hit his wife, and it was awful, absolutely awful. And I'm afraid it, uh, it didn't get any better. We used to talk about the Bible, and in the end, I remember giving him a Gideon New Testament at one point, which he used to carry around with him. Um, but in the end, he just couldn't hold it together, and he just walked out. He, ran, he, he actually went to Greece, I think, for an expensive holiday, and ran up a huge debt on his credit card, and he was deported, and... He ended up in London, sleeping rough, um, still with his alcohol problems, but he added some uh, drug problems to that. And um, he was picked up one night by the police for being drunk and incapable, and he was put in a cell. I think it was called group free accommodation, which is a sort of euphemism for a rather, you know, for a tiled room. Um, and then he was taken from there to hospital because he'd got alcohol poisoning. But there was a policeman who'd listened to him raving in his cell. There's an association of Christian policemen, and he belonged to that. And he went to see Alan Spencer in hospital. And by this time, he was very tearful. And he said, and the policeman took him a Bible because he'd heard him raving about Scripture. And uh, he said to the policeman, what's going to become of me? What's going to happen to me? You know, I've lost everything. I've lost my family. My health is, is just ruined from all that I've done. And I'm enormously in debt. And my life is absolutely disastrous. And the policeman said, and I like this, he said, you're absolutely right. You just have to be born again. <laughs> and to cut a long story short, I think he was, because he ended up in Glasgow, and working and living in a Christian community called the Open Close. And it, it was a place where anyone was allowed three days with a roof over their head. No questions asked. Um, they didn't have to do anything. They got three days of shelter. And uh, Alan worked there. And it was a, it was a, he said, I don't have a lock on my door, I don't have any money or any possessions because they all get stolen. There's no point in having anything because, you know, it's open house to everybody and they've all got huge problems and so he used to send, he used to love music tapes and he used to send me a lot, tapes by Michael Card and people like that and he said, there's no point in me keeping these, I play them and then you can have them, um, which is an arrangement that I, I rather enjoyed. But he was... If they'd written him off, it would have been a very different story. I remember coming back from... I'm oh, sorry, I'm rambling a bit, but I, I like this um, story. I remember coming back from Kirsten's baptism at Old Trafford. 
And he phoned me up and he said, what have you done today? And I said, well, oh, terrific day, lovely day. Um, there's been a baptism. And he said, oh, I've never been baptised. And I said, well, I think you should. Go and read Romans chapter 6, because it's all in there. And you'll, you'll, you'll know about it. You phoned back about half past eleven at night. And he said, you're absolutely right, I read it, it's dynamite, isn't it? And he said, there's nobody in the house, I baptised myself. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, why not, why not, it's between me and God, isn't it? So he said, I got in the bath, and I said a prayer, and then I baptised myself. And he said, I think you're right, you have, you've got to do it, haven't you? Don't write people off. God never does. Sometimes, though, we need to be very, very patient. And that's often very hard for us. Our other case history is a very different man. This man would never be excluded from the temple. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. That's Paul's CV. Nobody is going to throw him out of the temple. He thought he was especially righteous. And all this talk about Jesus just made him very, very angry. And he was sure that they were wrong. We've talked a lot about Jesus this weekend. I once did a youth weekend with Bob and somebody said, there was too much Jesus in that. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you where it was, but it was pretty desperate. Um, and they didn't like, well, they didn't like us at all, really, did they, Bob? <laughs> um, I don't think you can have too much Jesus. Here's the Apostle Paul, absolutely running headlong. The only thing that can... The only thing that can change him is an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You can't mend a car while it's moving. Uh, when I was a young man, I had, I've got a friend called Boffy, and Boffy had a motorbike that was always falling apart. And if he gave you a lift, it was a mixed blessing. <laughs> because you'd be, tr you'd be travelling along on the pillion seat, and suddenly... A great, he'd be doing 50 miles an hour up the white line in the middle of the road and suddenly a great gust of air used to hit you in the chest and there was no sign of him because <laughs> he was bending down doing running repairs while, you know, steering with one hand it was blinking, terrifying I remember meeting Alex soon after his baptism. He looked like he was sponsored by Elastoplast. Because you <laughs> you just had this bicycle crash, hadn't you? And, uh, and then it, and it made you think about things, I think, because you were baptised almost immediately after that. And um, Alex said to me, I was so busy running away from God that I bumped into him coming around the other way. <laughs> Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and he realises that he's made a desperate mistake and he just wants to die for three days and three nights 
He just wants to die. Doesn't eat anything, doesn't drink anything. There's a, there's a little parable of the Lord Jesus Christ, Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember it well, don't you? It's, it, it's practically a one-line parable. Jesus is talking about two responses to God. The proud Pharisee who says, I thank my God I'm not like this man. I do all the right things. And by his side is a, a penitent sinner. Lord have mercy on me, a sinner. Both of those people, the Apostle Paul, Andrew Murray says, on the road to Damascus, the proud Pharisee dies and the penitent sinner begins a new life. He's changed completely by his experience of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all through Paul's letters, you read this message of grace and forgiveness. We need to learn that. We need to listen to a man who knows all about it. Jesus says to Ananias, just go and baptize him, because this man is a chosen vessel to me, and he'll carry my name to Gentiles and their kings, and the people of Israel. And Paul's life is transformed by an encounter with a living Lord. Our faith can be sterile and academic and exclusive and arrogant and aggressive until we have an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ and he changes everything. We live in a good country, don't we? It's a, it's a wealthy country and it's peaceful. And life goes on from day to day, doesn't it? Pretty easily. We drift along until once in a while something happens that stops us in our tracks. It might be illness, it might be bereavement, it might be redundancy, broken relationships. And we're forced to stop and, and think. And they're painful times, awful times that we go through. But they can be times of great growth. The second of the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, or those who sorrow, for they will be comforted. And the word comfort, you know what it is, don't you? It's parakaleo. It's the, it's the word that we were looking at in John's Gospel yesterday. It's about Jesus coming alongside, helping us to shoulder the burden, giving us strength, giving us his living presence, getting us through. And we learn something. We learn something so precious in these desperate times. We learn to rely on him. Ronald Dunn said, you don't realise that Jesus is all that you need until Jesus is all that you've got. And that's what we learn. That we have a living Lord who is with us always, who's going to come alongside. This is his table. This is the place where we meet him in a very special way. And here on the table are the symbols of life and death. His body, his blood, 
but they're symbols of something else. They're talking to us about a love that will never let us go. A love that will continue loving you beyond the pain of death itself. Is there anything more that Jesus could have done to show you how deeply you are loved than this? To give away his life. So we're going to take this bread and wine, we're going to remember that, but we're going to remember that you have a friend who will do anything for you. Even to death on a cross. And a friend who promises never to leave you, never to forsake you, and to be with you always, even to the end of the world.